Father, we do pray indeed that you would prepare our hearts so that we can hear what you're saying as, as your word is sown in us this morning. Pray, Father, for a miracle in our hearts of response that produces fruit. Help us to see what that means and what that looks like in these words this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's confession time. I'm afraid I'm not a great gardener. Um, I, I'm not a, nor am I a particularly successful grower of vegetables. I don't know if you've tried to grow your own carrots or parsnips, potatoes. In my experience, you put in a, a, a huge amount of work, painstaking effort, and you yield enough for about you know, half a family meal months later. Unless you're Moses, Moses our caretaker, not Moses the prophet, uh, who was extremely successful with his tomato-growing efforts during uh, the first lockdown earlier this year. Uh, in my previous church, there was actually a vegetable-growing competition, believe it or not, um, every year leading up to harvest, and uh, one year it was pumpkins. And I set out to enter this competition, and I got a, got a pot and some soil and some pumpkin seeds, and I was all ready to go. As far as I understand it, you need to put the seeds in the pot. So I was getting ready to do that. And then Sue pointed out, those were in fact roasted pumpkin seeds. The sort you buy to eat, not to plant. Planting one of those would be next to useless if you wanted to grow an actual pumpkin. So what did we do? Well, instead we, we headed to the garden centre. We bought some actual giant pumpkin seeds, not just normal pumpkin seeds, giant pumpkin seeds to grow. They're not, not just the seeds of the giant, of course, it is in order to grow giant pumpkins. And I planted some of these and ended up, sadly, not with a giant pumpkin, with one the size of about a small onion. Not quite what I've been hoping for. Others in the competition got very different results with the same seeds. They got whopping, supersized, competition-winning pumpkins. And it would be easy at that point to blame something else, to blame the seed. There must have been something wrong with it. It would be easy to think. But I was assured by those who knew what they were talking about that provided I had indeed planted a real giant pumpkin seed and not a roasted one, what actually would have made the difference would have been choosing the right type of carefully prepared soil and then lovingly tending to the area where the, 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 the soil had been, where the, the seed had been planted once it was out in the garden, making sure that the weeds were, were cleared away, not just uh, dumping it in the corner of the garden and forgetting about it for a few months, as I'm afraid was slightly more similar to what I did. If you do that, you see, it doesn't lead to the same outcome. But here's the thing. The seed itself was fine. There was nothing wrong with the seed. And what we have in front of us in this parable is Jesus talking about planting seeds, as we heard. And we saw last week, we looked at this, um, the first half of this last week. And uh, we saw that he's doing this not merely to give us gardening tips, which is a relief, I think, but he uses parables both to teach and to expose those who hear his words. 
And uh, Chris was preaching last week, and he helped us last time to understand how Jesus' parables do that, do those two things. They teach and they expose what's going on in our hearts. And that was particularly verses 10 to 17. So do catch up on that and listen to it on the website um, if you missed that. But this chapter comes towards the end of a section that we began to look at earlier this term that is all about preparing Jesus' followers for what to expect when they go and preach about him. And what we've seen through these chapters, we we, we started uh, back in chapter 11, what we've seen is that people are going to misunderstand and they're going to oppose the preaching of God's word and the coming of his kingdom. And they're going to misunderstand Jesus' followers just as they misunderstand and opposed Jesus himself. And, and when that happens, the point is, if you're a follower of Jesus, it will, be easy, it will be really easy to start to wonder if you're doing something wrong. If you're seeking to follow Jesus today, maybe you found something similar. Because maybe you found that sharing the message about Jesus just seems to get very different responses from different people and in different places. We often run a course called Christianity Explored. And I've seen, I've led it quite a few times over the years, and I've seen many people sit through it and see the same videos, hear the same message, have the same kinds of discussions, the same kind of questions come up. And then after they've done all that, they respond completely differently. And one or two say, yes, I think this must be true. I want to follow Jesus. And they don't look back. Others say, no, this is, this is nonsense. There must be a different explanation for all this. I'm not convinced at all by what I've heard. And then others are somewhere in between. They sort of seem to respond positively, and it's all, it's all looking great, but a few weeks later, they've disappeared, and you never hear from them again. And that's just other people and how they respond to the, the preaching of the message about Jesus. But, well, then there's, then there's me, Because there are days when I hear God's word and I want to respond by trusting him and I can see the difference it's making in my life. And there are days when five minutes into the sermon, I've stopped concentrating completely. Well, this this parable of the sower, sowing his seed, is here to help Jesus' followers understand this phenomenon of different responses to the same message, the same word. Different responses to the same message in others and also in ourselves. And the key thing to understand as we look at this is that there are many different responses, and we see them, we see four outlined in verses 18 to 23. There are all these different ways of responding, but there's nothing wrong with the seed. There's nothing wrong with the seed. The key lies in the soil where the seed is planted. The key lies in our willingness, as we heard last time, to come near to Jesus and to listen to him and to keep coming near to Jesus and keep listening to him. So let's see how Jesus spells that out. Here is this sower and he's scattering his seed everywhere. And uh, do you know this is actually where the word broadcast comes from? We are broadcasting this morning, aren't we? Amazing. Over the the internet, 
Anybody could be watching from anywhere. Welcome if you're in the other, <clears throat> on the other side of the world or something and it's the middle of the night. We're, we're delighted that you're here. But the, the, the word broadcast was originally used for exactly this kind of sowing activity. A farmer walking through a field, scattering seed left and right over all kinds of different <clears throat> uh, soil, casting broadly. But this is about the word, it's about the message of the kingdom, the seed being broadcast, cast broadly, and receiving many different responses. And here Jesus explains for us these four responses that he's, put, he, he's had in his parable. So, so we're going to go through them all now briefly. Um, so uh, I wonder if you can, if I, I haven't got that here in my app. So you can, if you can put up the first um, point, that'd be great. Thank you. So there we go. The path, no room for God's word. Verse 19. Look at verse 19. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. This is where God's word is heard and then immediately rejected. The seed remains on the surface. The birds stand for the evil one, the devil, coming to snatch away the seed before it can take root. Now, we might think it sounds a little harsh to equate that with not understanding the message. That's what he says, isn't it? We, you know, if we don't tend to understand something, we, we tend to think, well, that's not my fault. You know, it needs to be made clearer so that I understand it. But we need to remember what we saw last week, which is that we are not neutral, rational beings in our hearts. We like to think we are, but we're not. Our hearts naturally have this tendency to reject what we are hearing from God. So when we hear it, what happens naturally is that we immediately put up defences. And Jesus is saying that when we hear that message about him, the way we respond shows what's actually going on in our hearts. So when we don't understand and when we just go, no, there's nothing to see here, then we're actually showing what's going on in our hearts. So this isn't saying that if you, if you don't understand, then you know, well, you're damned and that's the end of it. But it's, it's clear in the parable as a whole that there are two basic directions of travel. We're either coming towards Jesus... To, to kind of listen harder to him, to, to find out what is this, you know, it might not make sense to begin with, but I want to know what it means, so I'm coming closer, or we're going the other way, we're moving further away and saying, no, this is a load of nonsense, nothing to see here. It's like the automatic doors on a shop. Maybe we've all forgotten how these work during lockdown, but let me remind you, if you stand far away from a, a shop with those automatic doors at the front, and, and the doors are closed... And you're standing far away from it and you're looking and you're thinking, what, what does it look like? Well, it looks like the shop could be shut. The doors are shut. They're closed. So you've got two choices then, haven't you? You can walk, say, oh, I'll, I'll, the shop's obviously closed. I'll come back another time. I'll go and do something else. Or you can walk towards it for closer examination. And when you walk towards it, of course, what happens? Well, the doors open. 
Do you see, the seed falling on the path stands for the person who thinks, nah, there's, no, there's nothing to see here. Now, of course, in saying that, they are failing to understand the message of Jesus, and that's what Jesus is getting at. See, what, what would be the alternative? Well, that would be to come closer and listen harder in order to understand better. So it's not saying that if you don't understand, you're, you, you know, you're automatically in this category, but it's saying it's then what you do. Are you somebody who's just saying, duh, can't be bothered with this? Or are you somebody who's then coming closer to Jesus to listen? Because the person who thinks there's nothing to see here is the one in whom the devil has already snatched the word away, Jesus says. So they're only going to find themselves confirmed in that rejection. Now, have you noticed this kind of attitude in others, maybe, first of all? You know, somebody says, oh, the Bible, you know, it's full of contradictions. Oh, well, you know, maybe you tell me, what is one of those contradictions? So that we can, we can talk about it, we can look into it further. Oh, no, 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 there's no point doing that. I, I, the Bible's full of contradictions, I just know it. Well, how do you know? Can you show me where it is? Oh, no, no, I just know. So I'm not prepared even to open the Bible because it's just, it's full of contradictions. And so it goes on. Do you see? This is, it's that kind of attitude that says, uh, there's nothing to see here. And uh, moving on. Now, what is the, this, this is a helpful reminder to us that evangelism and prayer always go together. They have to go together. Because it's not that at that point our ability to explain the message has failed or that there's something wrong with the seed itself. The message will only take root if the soil, the heart, is ready to receive it. So that is why we have to pray, because that is God's work to prepare the hearts of our non-Christian friends and families and neighbours and colleagues. So, so are we praying for them? That's an obvious question from this. But if that's true for those who don't know Jesus, it's also true for those who do. Because actually this is about how we hear God's word as well. We are both sowers of the seed, but we're also hearers. Now Chris helped us to see last week that God's word is not just a dead text that we study dispassionately. It is living and active. God's word does something when it's preached. And, and Chris used the example of the word fire. So, you know, if I, if I shout fire, I'm, I'm not just describing a, uh, you know, a conflagration, as the dictionary might describe it, define it. If I shout fire, I'm intending for you to get up and do something. The word is meant to have an effect on you. But sometimes, you see, Christians can approach the Bible as if it's just like any other book in the world. And so we go, oh no, look, I've heard this passage before. I heard a talk about this three years ago. And, and, and then when we say like that, we are treating the Bible like a school textbook. You know, you, you get to the end and you close it and you move on to the next level. You graduate from it. But actually, that is not what the Bible is. See, when it is preached... It either draws us closer to listen harder, to seek to understand, or it drives us away. And we think, nothing to see here, I'm moving on. The Bible's been described as shallow enough for a baby to paddle in and deep enough for an elephant to drown in. 
There's always more to hear because there's always more of God to know. So much as we might despair of you know, non-Christian friends who, whose hearts are hard and show no interest in the message about Jesus, well, let's make sure that the same is not true of us when we listen to God's word, if we're trusting Jesus. Even a parable like this, even the parable of the sower, we might be tempted to think, well, they, you know, they do this in Sunday school. They absolutely do. Three-year-olds can hear this. Five-year-olds can hear this and get something out of it. But so can 45, 75-year-olds, 25-year-olds. Because there's always more of God to know. God's word is living and active. He will always speak through his word because there's nothing wrong with the seed. The seed never gets old. The seed never gets boring. The seed never becomes something that we don't need to, to receive. But our hearts get dull and boring. And our hearts become places that think, We've heard this all before. There's nothing more to see here. But novelty isn't always a good thing. What we need is to hear the same things, but know them and understand them even more deeply. So come closer as we hear the word of God. Pray for God's help. See what it is that you missed the last time you looked at this. Come to Jesus and say, I want to know you better through your word. So that is the seed that falls on the path. And if we go to the second slide, rocky ground. Early promise leads to nothing, verse 20 and 21. So if you look at that, verse, verse 20, first of all, the one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. Do you know people who've done that? You receive it with joy when they hear it. But then verse 21 happens. Since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. See, this is reality, isn't it? We know this. We see this. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you see this in, in, in others around us. Someone seems to come to faith. They say all the right things. They do all the right things, but it doesn't last. And again, it would be easy to, to kind of conclude, well, there was something wrong with the message. We didn't explain it clearly enough. But th th there's nothing wrong with the seed itself. The heart was not one in which the seed could take root. Now, well, okay, then how can you tell whether somebody's profession of faith is genuine and going deep? How, how can we tell if our own profession of faith is genuine and going deep? Well, the answer is, in one sense, well, you, you can't straight away tell the difference. That's actually the whole point of what Jesus is saying. What he's saying is time is going to tell. It will become clear. Because what's going to happen over time is that suffering is going to come in this fallen world. Suffering of one kind or another, either through persecution... So the fear of what other people think turns out to be more important than what God thinks. Or if not persecution, the, the, the suffering of living in a fallen world. Or trouble, as Jesus puts it here. That's why the New Testament makes it so clear over and over again that, that faith is tested and proved genuine by suffering. And we saw that when we did our series in 1 Peter earlier this year. One of the most helpful things a Christian youth group leader did for me when I was 17, and I'd just come to faith in Jesus from, an, from, from a, essentially a non-Christian home at that point, um, he, this, this youth group leader was, had 
had been invited into the school where I was at, my school, and he'd been given an opportunity to do an assembly. So he got me and a friend who'd also come to faith in similar circumstances to come with him up to the front of this assembly in front of the whole school and speak about how we'd come to faith in Jesus, to give our testimony, as we might say, to tell our story of what it means to trust Jesus in front of the whole school. It was utterly terrifying, I'll tell you that. And I can, I can remember thinking, I really don't want to do this. I really don't want to do this. But somehow we, we did, me and my friends. And just standing up and saying in front of other people, this is what I believe. Actually, that in itself had a profound effect on the seed taking root in my heart, praise God. Because you know then that you're not on the fence anymore. You can't be on the fence and that is the problem with private, is the sort of notion of private faith. Faith that never speaks up in front of others. Because it's very hard to know, is that faith really taking root? We might wonder that about somebody else. We might wonder that about ourselves. So, so why then, think about it like this, why is it good for our colleagues or our friends at school to know that we are Christians? Well, we often think, well, it's so that they can hear about Jesus too. You know, it's for evangelism. And that's absolutely right. But even before that, I think this is, this is helping us to see, actually, it's good that they know that we're Christians for our own faith and for the sake of the seed taking root in our hearts. Because if you know that people know you're a Christian you know that they're going to be watching how you live out your faith. Even in, you know, when you're talking about things that have got nothing to do with your Christian faith, you're just doing your job day by day. They'll be watching to see how you do it. And so the question would be, is this, does this make a difference to this, this person's life? Or is it all just talk? See, faith that is prepared to stand up and be counted will take root and be prepared for when things get tough. And Jesus says they will get tough. This suffering will come. So that, that, that's, the, that's the rocky places. Then we come thirdly to the thorny places when life's worries take over. So verse 22, the one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. See, this is different from the rocky ground. This is this is the seed taking root, but then being choked by weeds. Now, as I've already described, I'm a hacker in the garden. I, I like getting the big tools out. I like sort of slashing through wild undergrowth that's been allowed to get out of control. But one tip that I have picked up along the way is this. A weed is a plant in the wrong place. It's a nice little proverb, isn't it? A weed is a plant in the wrong place. And that is what the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth that Jesus calls the weeds and the thorns here, that's what they actually are. They're, they're a plant in the wrong place. You see, the, the worries of this world start with the right desire to provide for ourselves and our family. But that then turns easily into, uh, well, and in one sense quite rightly, for a concern for health and stability but then those things start to completely dominate our thinking and, and all that we think about day to day to the point that those things take first precedence over everything from the moment that we wake until we go to sleep. 
And we're living a seven-day work week with no rest and no room for God and no room for God's word and no room for God's people. See, what's happened then? This, this plant that began with the idea of caring for my family, as it were, or caring, providing for myself and my family, that plant has become a weed and it is choking the seed of God's word. Uh, Jesus highlights wealth as well here, doesn't he? And it's exactly the same thing, isn't it? Money in itself is a, is a good thing. We, we can do a lot of good with money. But it can also be deceitful. It can make promises that it cannot possibly keep. Because however good the bank balance is and however much is in the savings and the pension pot, well, it's not going to get us through death. And it's not going to get us through the judgment that follows Do you see, it's a plant in the wrong place and it chokes the word in our hearts. At at funerals, as a minister, I read these words from Psalm 103. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. Then the wind blows over it and it is gone. And those words from Psalm 103 are also in Isaiah chapter 40. And and there, Isaiah goes on slightly differently from what we say in the funeral, but he, he says this. He says, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. See, how foolish to tend the weeds and to water them and to encourage these weeds when only the plant that grows from the seed of God's word will last. But how easily do we pour our effort and attention into everything else but the seed and the planting and the growth of God's word in our hearts. So what what, what weeds then are we tending and allowing to choke that seed? It's worth noting in the way that Jesus explains this here, that it's both positive and negative experiences and circumstances that, that can become weeds that choke the seed. See, it's worries of this world when things go badly, but the deceitfulness of wealth, in other words, when things go well, both of those things can be just as bad for us. Don't be fooled into thinking it's only when things go wrong, for example, as we might often think that it's difficult to to follow Jesus. No, it's really difficult to follow Jesus when things go too well because then that weed chokes the seed just as much as the trouble does. Think Think how much of our energy right now is going into simply trying to get things back to how they were nine months ago. As if that were possible. And as if that were actually the solution to our problems that we face as human beings in this world. See, what we need most of all is not merely an improvement in our circumstances or an increase in health or wealth. What we need most of all is for this seed to grow in healthy soil. And that is the final thing we see then, fourthly, the good soil, verse 23, when miracles happen. So verse 23 The one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man or the woman who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. What then is the most remarkable thing about the good soil compared to the other soils? 
Is it, is it the absence of rocks? Is it the lack of thorns and weeds? Well, actually, those who know about gardening and farming tell me that if you could find a seed that had a yield even of 30 times what was sown, let alone 60 or 100, any of those figures would be considered utterly extraordinary. You know, it's, if you think about it, that's a 3,000% return on an investment. That's what Jesus is saying here. Rising possibly to 10,000%. I think the point is, this is a miracle. You're meant to laugh. You're meant to say, what? You don't get seeds like that. That's ridiculous. Those things don't exist. It's a miracle. That is the remarkable thing about this soil, the miraculous power of this seed to bring about an unimaginable harvest in it. Now, the word for the crop is the same as the word for fruit. And fruit, fruitfulness, are words that Jesus uses in Matthew's gospel to talk about living wholeheartedly as people of the kingdom of heaven. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, he says to the Pharisees in chapter 3. By their fruits you will recognize them, he says of the false prophets in chapter 7. So the point is, when someone hears the message about Jesus and puts their trust in him, that's a miracle. It's an extraordinary thing. And again, therefore, that is why we must pray when the word is sown. And know then that if you are a Christian today, you are a walking miracle. It's interesting as well that Jesus envisages different possible quantities of yield. All of them are miracles, 160 or 30. You just go, wow, that's amazing. But they're different. I don't know about you, but I find that encouraging because I, I, I easily compare myself, you know, with that Christian over there who is so effective at sharing their faith with non-believers and often sees a positive response, and I just, I just sort of struggle a bit more than that. Or, or, or there's a Christian over here who's just outstandingly patient and kind and contented in every circumstance, and I think, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not really like that. This is saying, actually, in one sense, it's okay. Not every Christian is the same. That's the point. But the point is, whatever fruit there is in our lives, there should be fruit. There should be things where we can say, wow, I can see how God has been at work in me in, in different ways. Whenever that is happening, that is a miracle. So rejoice in that. When we see it in, in ourselves, when we see it, too, in others. Well, what then can we do then if we want to be people who have this good soil in our hearts, ready to receive the word and produce this kind of crop? We, we, we've heard it many times through these chapters and in this chapter, it's come to Jesus. Do you remember he said at the end of chapter 11, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to him, listen to his word and stick with his word. That is ultimately the difference between the good soil and the other soils, whether we listen to Jesus. That's how we finish the parable in the first place, verse 9. He who has ears, let him hear. And uh, the point was then they didn't quite get it. They, thought he, they didn't understand this parable, so they wanted to know more. So they came to him and they asked him, and they delved deeper, and he helped them to understand this is what my parables are for, and then he explained it to them. Come to Jesus and ask for help we can't listen 
if our Bibles never get opened. We won't be listening if we think we already know what the Bible says. Or, or if we think we know already what the sermon or the Bible study is going to say before we hear it or participate in it. Or if we allow ourselves to be constantly distracted from really getting into the Word so we can listen to Jesus. We live in a world of huge distractions, don't we? But keep coming to Jesus. When we're sowing the seed and sharing the message about Jesus, formally, informally, in whatever context that we do that in our lives, we need to know there's nothing wrong with the seed. So keep going. Keep broadcasting. Know that the the, the seed will hit different types of soil. Trust God with that. If you don't see the same results as your friend down the road or in the next office or whatever sees, keep broadcasting. That's what Jesus is saying to his followers. Trust that God is at work in the different soils that the seed encounters. But as listeners of the word too, we need to know. The key question is, are we going to keep listening to the word with open Bibles, open hearts, ready to hear God's message in his word so that he can then produce that miraculous crop? in our lives. Let me pray now. Father, we want to come to Jesus and listen, and listen hard, and listen harder, So that we pray in our lives you would do the miracle of producing an extraordinary crop of fruitfulness, of lives lived for you, kingdom-shaped lives. As we sow the word, even in this lockdown, as we share the good news about Jesus with a lost and anxious world, would you prepare hearts to, to listen to the good news that we have from you. And in our own hearts, we, we, we continue to pray that our hearts would be free of weeds, that we would not be tending those weeds, but that we would be making room for the word so that it might grow there. And we pray for anyone who's yet to come to Jesus to, to receive that word in them. Might they do that even today? And would you then produce that crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.